listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. And by the way, I almost missed it. I want to say congratulations to the Village Church softball team, the champions, once again, with Adam Volt on the mound, with his curveballs and sliders and knuckle curves. Man, we just slaughtered them in the name of Jesus. Amen? All right. All right. Well, let's, let's get a little more spiritual here today. Um, the title of my sermon this morning is The Journey of Becoming. Uh, some of you might remember last weekend we talked about becoming Christian. Becoming Christian. Well, this is going to be a companion sermon to that one. The Journey of Becoming. And we're going to look at a text here in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, that we're going to read in just a second. Uh, incidentally, Pastor Wade's going to be preaching on this very same passage next week. It just happened that way. And so evidently the Lord is going to want us to resonate with this and marinate on this passage. There's something that God wants to speak to us. And we're just kind of laying in some important themes, as you know. Uh, this fall, you know, we're going to begin to look at the Beatitudes at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. One by one each week, we're going to study the Beatitudes together. And then we're going to continue on through the Sermon on the Mount, verse by verse, passage by passage. Nothing fancy. We're just going to dig into the Word and apply it to our lives. That's that's the way I like to preach. But before we get into that, we've got to lay in some groundwork. And that's what we've been doing in these last few weeks. All of these sermons have been connecting. Uh, but let's read this text this morning. And then we're going to pause and pray just before we get into it. I would even encourage you just today. Why don't you close your eyes? I'm going to read this. I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it. And I want you to listen beyond just my words. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's a certain word or a certain phrase that might jump out to you and grab your attention. So I'm going to read it slowly. I want you to listen to whatever the Spirit might lay His finger on. Because this is such a rich little passage with much we can glean from it. So listen to the Holy Spirit as I read this and then we're going to pray together. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for your presence that we can sense in a tangible way today. You're always present. You're always with us. It's up to us to pause and embrace the moment. And that's what we do right now. There's something that you want to speak to each one of us. There's something that perhaps you would want to change in our lives, awaken us to. I pray that whatever your agenda may be for this day, may your agenda be established as we sang just a moment ago, your kingdom come and your will be done 
As an act of worship right now, we lay aside everything else that would try to compete for our attention. And we ask you to speak into the very core of our being. Plant your word into the soil of our hearts. Let it take root and grow so that one day it will bear fruit for your kingdom. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This story is the story of the calling of two brothers. Peter, we'll call him Peter today instead of Simon. We, we most know him as Peter. But Peter and Andrew, they're called in this passage to become students, apprentices, disciples of Jesus. And Jesus uh, gives them the invitation this way, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. It's a famous line. I remember learning this in Sunday school as a little kid. It captured my imagination. Follow me and I will make you become a fisher of men. I had images of men walking around with hooks in their mouths and (laughs) thousands and thousands and thousands of Sunday school lessons and sermons have been preached on this text. I've, I've preached some of them myself and typically, you know, the point that is made is that Jesus calls all of us to become fishers of men, fishers of people for his glory and for his kingdom. And certainly that is a very important point out of this passage. I don't want to minimize that. That is a very appropriate uh, lesson that we learn from this. But I think when we leave it there, we miss what I think is a very important, vital component of this story that I think we need to pay attention to. When Jesus says these words, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. He's not saying this as a general call to anybody and everybody at one time. This isn't a general invitation to everybody. This is a very personal invitation to two particular men who happen to be lifelong fishermen. And their dad was a lifelong fisherman. Their grandfather was a lifelong fisherman. As far back as they can remember in their family lineage, they were all Galilean fishermen. In fact, in this very moment when they encountered Jesus, what were they doing? Fishing, casting a net into the sea. And so Jesus, I want you to see this, he takes something that is very distinctive about who these men are, and he weaves it into his invitation, and he calls them in a very personal way creative way follow me and i will make you become fishers of men but don't you know if a little while later when jesus calls for example a guy like matthew the tax collector he's not going to say hey matthew follow me and i will make you become a fisher of men because matthew wasn't a fisherman to begin with it wouldn't have resonated in quite the same way what i want to show you today is that the whole journey of discipleship, Jesus tailors it to the individual. Because discipleship is inherently a relational process. We make a mistake in the American church when we assume that disciples can be mass-produced and stamped out with a cookie cutter. You know, we're all children of the post-industrial age. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, something happened in the world that would change the world forever in good ways and in bad ways. But what it was is we discovered how to build factories and smokestacks and 
We invented assembly lines and conveyor belts, and we realized we don't have to build things one at a time. We don't have to make things one at a time. We can make them 10,000s at a time. And so thus began what we call the Industrial Revolution. And it really was a revolution. I mean, in ways we don't even sometimes realize, we take it for granted today, how much this has changed uh, the way we live in so many ways. And it's, it's changed the way you and I think. And the Industrial Revolution touched every area of human life. In fact, even religious practice. And, and inevitably, I think churches and pastors began to make the inevitable mistake. I would have made this mistake because it made sense. It was common sense. It was conventional wisdom. But they began to think, man, if we can mass produce cars and if we can mass produce furniture and if we can mass produce appliances, maybe we can mass produce disciples. And so we built our own version of factories and smokestacks and conveyor belts and assembly lines called discipleship programs and discipleship tracks, all well-intended to be sure, but it just doesn't really work that way because discipleship is never industrial. It's always relational. Jesus is not a mass industrialist turning out Christians on factory assembly lines. He's an artisan who handcrafts them one at a time. And the way Jesus makes a disciple out of Peter is not the same way he makes a disciple out of Matthew, and it's not going to be the same way he makes a disciple out of you. Because discipleship is never industrial. It's always, always, always relational. And discipleship is always personal, but it's never private. Don't confuse those two words. Jesus is your personal savior. He saves you personally. He calls you personally. Jesus is thoroughly and intimately acquainted with your life. And he knows you better than you know yourself. So Jesus saves us personally. But listen to me. He never saves us privately. Because the moment... Jesus calls you to begin to follow him on the Jesus way. He's going to call you into a community of people who are also hiking the Jesus way with you. There's no other way to be a Christian, just so you know. And there are going to be other people who are going to be enormously important in your own journey with Jesus. A couple weeks ago, I was having breakfast with one of our folks here at Village Church. And, and he was sharing with me something of his own personal journey with Jesus. And years ago, he was going through a, a personal crisis. Something had turned upside down in his life. And he was going through a long season of, of chaos and disorder. And he was doing everything he could to just cling to Jesus, cling to his faith. And he was kind of on a personal search of something that could help him have an have a foundation and, and a way to move forward. And, and so he was going to a, a different church and, a, and then he went to another church and he was, you know, he was connecting with the sermons, but he, he just felt like it wasn't enough. He needed something more. And he said that what turned it all around for him and what helped to launch him on a whole new trajectory was when Pastor Wade took him under his wing and met with him weekly 
every week for two years and personally walked with him through that season in his life. And he said, that's what helped me to get back in a healthy place and to begin moving back in a healthy direction in my life. That's what helped me to recover and to begin to move forward. And you see, what I'm trying to show you is that's what discipleship is. But that wasn't a program. Pastor Wade didn't take him through a program like, like he takes every person through a program and it's a cookie cutter process. This was a very particular process that was, that was tailored to a particular individual going through a particular season in his life. So discipleship is always personal and it's always relational. Can somebody testify with me today? Amen. So Jesus calls Peter and Andrew. They're nothing but blue collar fishermen, rough around the edges. And Jesus knows that. He's aware of these guys, you know, they're just working a demanding job, catching fish, selling fish. And, and there's nothing sophisticated about Peter and Andrew, as we will learn as we get to know them. You know, these are just ordinary blue collar guys. And Jesus is aware of that. He sees them as they are. But when Jesus calls them, listen, he calls them with a particular becoming in mind. Follow me and I will make you become. Jesus calls Peter and Andrew with a particular becoming in mind. And what I want you to know is Jesus has a particular becoming in mind for you. But at least at the beginning of your journey, you're not going to know what that is. That's something you're going to discover probably gradually as you stay on the Jesus trail. I'm... I shouldn't say this because it's going to embarrass my mother, but in two, in two months, I will turn 40. And I've been walking with Jesus. I've been on the Jesus way for, I don't know, in some ways, you know, 35, 36 years. I've been on this, I know I'm young, but I've been on this trail for a long time. And it's only been in the last five years that I, I would say I have a really clear picture of the kind of becoming Jesus has had in mind for me all along. I didn't see it. I didn't know it when I was 13. I didn't see it or know it when I was 22. When I was 30 years old, I didn't see the particular becoming. I had a, a closer sense of it, but it's only gotten especially sharp and clear over these last five years. And that's the way it is with our journeys with Jesus. Sometimes that's probably for the good. Maybe we, we wouldn't even go on the journey if we saw the becoming he had in mind for us. Peter, as he is in this moment, is probably not going to get excited about being crucified upside down one day. You understand? But if you read his first epistle, you'll see a man who's been completely changed on his journey, who sees it as a, an incredible honor, something he's almost not even worthy of. But here he is on this shore of the Sea of Galilee, just casting a net into the sea, and, and Peter just thinks this is going to be his life. And I would think Peter wouldn't assume that would be a bad thing either. I mean, this is who he is. This is who his family is. We're Galilean fishermen. That's what we do. And Jesus invites him and says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And, and you understand whatever image Peter had in his mind of what that was going to be like, it wasn't going to be that. There's no way Peter could possibly imagine the kind of becoming that Jesus had in mind and neither can we. Now, I'm, I'm being very intentional about my 
language here today. There's a reason why I'm using the awkward phrase, the journey of becoming. And I want you to notice, I want you to be aware that I'm avoiding terms like God has a destiny for your life. God wants to bring you to a destination. God has a plan. God has a goal for your life. Because when we use language like that, I think it can cause us to think in terms of achievement, accomplishment, destination, acquisition. And and I want you to see this is not primarily what Jesus has in mind for you. Listen very closely to how he phrases it. Follow me and I will make you become. Following Jesus is not about getting somewhere. Following Jesus is about becoming something. Becoming fully formed in Christ. I like to say it like this. Becoming a human being as God intends. Becoming like Jesus. And I want you to know that the journey itself is vital to the process of becoming. It's not that you're going to go on a journey and then once you get to the end, it's going to be handed to you. No, the the journey itself is going to be formative. And it's going to be happening when you don't even know it's happening. In fact, I'm convinced that a lot of times it's in those seasons of our life when we think nothing's happening. And we're like, God, where are you? There's nothing exciting. I don't have any goosebumps right now. What's going on? And we feel like we're in a rut. Oftentimes, it's in those moments when we don't perceive it, God's working deep in the soil of our hearts, and he's deep in that process of shaping us and helping us grow into this becoming that he has in mind. So the invitation is not follow me and I will take you to the winner's circle. Follow me and I'll take you to the top. It's follow me and I will make you become Because it's not destination, it's transformation that Jesus is after in our lives. And for the super motivated, goal-oriented, type A person like Peter and myself to some degree, this is a very difficult lesson to learn. Because as soon as Jesus says, follow me, we want to say, all right, where are we going? Where, where are we going? When are we going to get there? Let's get it done. Let's get there now. Let's, let's get this accomplished. Let's get this accomplishment under our belt and check off, you know, the, the box. Let's get there. And it's a fundamental mistake, I think, to approach life with the chief goal of achieving something and acquiring something. That is not, I understand, listen, as you're on the journey with Jesus, you're going to achieve things. You're going to acquire things. You're going to accomplish some things, things that need to be accomplished. I get that. Let's just take that as a given. But that's not primarily what life is about. Life as our creator intends it to be is about becoming something. We are disciples of a master whose primary area of expertise is not jujitsu. It's not playing the saxophone. It's not a certain form of art. Jesus, his primary area of expertise is life itself. Jesus is the guru, the master of living life well. And so he invites you to follow him, follow me. And we wanna say, all right, Jesus, where are we going? 
he says, we're just going to go through life. You're going to have to go through life anyway. Why not go through life with me? And I'm going to show you how to live life well, the way life was intended to be lived. But Jesus also wants to tell you that if you're going to follow me along this way, you're going to have to learn to trust me completely. Because you're going to go through moments and decisions in your life where I'm going to, follow, I'm going to ask you to follow me into a certain way that's going to, it's not going to make any sense to you. It's going to go against your most precious instincts. I talked about it last week about how we live in a consumeristic age. And every one of us, to some degree, we've been shaped by the instinct of consumerism. We live in a, a, a culture that, that wants to tell us that life is a competitive game. And those who win the game are those who have the most stuff and the best stuff. And every one of us, we've absorbed that. We've imbibed that from our culture to some degree. We can't help it. It's the air we breathe. And so we've been formed all our life. Every single day, we're bombarded with messages as a consumerism where we, we're trained, we're formed, we're shaped to see life as a game. And the winners are the ones who possess the best stuff and the most stuff. We're all formed and shaped in it. And Jesus says, come follow me into a different way of life. And so we, because we're intrigued and we're fascinated and we sense that there's something empty, there's a void, we want to follow and we begin the journey. But as soon as we start catching a glimpse of what the Jesus way has in store for our lives and what it's going to demand from us and call from us, we want to say, wait a second, Jesus, if I, if I go there with you, I'm going to lose the game. I'm going to lose and I'm under, I'm under the assumption that that's, that's what it's all about. I'm going to lose the game. And Jesus is like, yes, you're going to lose the game. You're going to lose. But if you just go ahead right now and choose to lose for my sake, you're going to win in the most surprising way imaginable. You understand, Jesus didn't win by winning. Jesus won by losing. He humbled himself. He poured himself out, emptied himself, said no to his basic instinct for survival, not my will, but yours be done. And he gave his life willingly on the cross, trusting that his father would vindicate him. And what does he say in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the meek, for they will what? Inherit the earth. See, this is counterintuitive. I'm, you're going to see it. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to us. As Americans, it does, the way of Christ does not make sense. It's counterintuitive. It's kind of like learning how to swim. Imagine like you're, you're in a position in life where you, you don't even know about swimming. Swimming is not even a concept you're familiar with. You've never heard of it. You've never seen somebody swim. It just doesn't exist, the concept of swimming. And you're standing there looking out at a, uh, the Pacific Ocean. And you're like, man, if I dive into that, I'm going to sink right to the bottom. There's no way that this could support a person. This substance, there's no way it could sustain a person. When actually, as we all know, there is a way, not by frantic effort, but just simply through graceful movement, there is a way that you can move through the water. This is something of what it is to, to hike the Jesus way of life the graceful way of Jesus. 
the culture and society around us looks at the Jesus way of life and says, man, if you step into that, you're going to sink like a stone. When actually, I'm just going to tell you, you can swim, but you're going to have to learn it from Jesus. And I'm just going to say it as blunt as I can. Here's what I'm really trying to tell you today. The goal of life is not to just go through life happy and successful. I know that we think that it is. I know that's what we assume. That's not the goal of life. To make life all about the pursuit of happiness and success is actually a terrible approach to life. The goal of life, rather, is to become fully human, formed in Christ. This was the reason for the incarnation. Ever since the fall of man, from that point on, humankind, we lost the way to swim. We lost the way to live life well, the way life, the way God intends life to be lived. We lost it. And so God enters into humanity in the person of Jesus Christ to recover for us how to be human. Made in the image of God. He recovers for us a vision of what that looks like and he shows us how to do it. And he invites us to join him. And so as we're on the journey of becoming like Jesus, it means we're on the, the journey of becoming human the way God intends us to be. And in following Jesus on the journey, some of the pain, some of the heartbreak, some of the brokenness that you and all, all of us are going to experience, it is a necessary part of that journey of becoming. Am I saying that God is the one who causes evil and causes all pain in your life? Absolutely not. So why does evil happen? I'm not going to try to answer that. That's a complex issue that defies simplistic answers. We can talk for hours about it, but that's beyond my point. What I'm trying to tell you is, is that in life, some of the pain, some of the heartbreak, some of the turmoil that you are going to personally experience, yes, it's unpleasant, but it is a necessary part of your journey. It's not the whole story, but it's a fundamental part of the process. There was an article uh, a while back, I believe it was in Newsweek magazine. There was an article about Mike Tyson. You remember Mike Tyson? I think he's still trying to make a comeback. <laughs> Mike Tyson, the former heavyweight champion boxer in the early 90s, took the world by storm. They called him the baddest man on the planet probably most famous for biting off a chunk of Evander Holyfield's ear on network primetime television. I watched that one live. Scarred me as a little boy. And convinced me not to become a boxer. There was an article, and, and I want to read some of it to you. It, it was from a few years ago. It's a bit dated, but I, it's going to help me make my point. Listen to this. Mike Tyson has been humbled by life. The former boxing champ, known for his savage brutality in the ring and his destructive behavior away from it, feels real remorse for the way he's behaved over the years. From his 1992 sexual assault conviction to biting off a chunk of another boxer's ear in 1997. Objectively, I'm a pig, says Tyson. The first stage of my life was just a whole bunch of selfishness. 
I thought I was a god. Now I realize my whole life is just a waste. Ruled by rage for most of his life, Tyson was finally broken last year when his four-year-old daughter died in a tragic accident. If you're not humble, life will visit humbleness upon you, he says. After I lost my daughter, all these people reached out. And I realized, I just want to be of service to people. I need to help. I need to have something, finally, that I can offer to people in this world. I'm a really damaged human being. And it is still such a struggle. But I'm going to fight to the end this time. I'm just trying to be a man. I'm trying so hard. I just find that to be deeply moving. He, uh, he's speaking from a place of deep brokenness. You can hear him. And he looks back upon a season of his life when he was on top of the world. He had everything he wanted. And he's like, I wasn't becoming more human. I was a pig. He says, the first stage of my life was just a whole bunch of selfishness. I thought I was a god. What a theologically astute statement there. He basically just lays out a clear understanding of the fall of man. And then he says this little poetic line. He says, if you're not humble, life will visit humbleness upon you. And he begins to talk about how he began to discover meaning in life when he went through his I don't know, unimaginably horrific tragedy of losing his four-year-old daughter. I can't imagine a pain worse than that. And he talks about how people began to reach out to him and help him and serve him. And it caused him to begin to see that if he's ever going to become a whole person, once again, he's got to take his eyes off of himself and begin to look at other people and, and find ways to help and bless and serve others. I mean, to me, that just, he's getting it. He's starting to get it. He says, I just want to help people now. I just want to be some service to people. I'm a really damaged human being. I'm just trying to be a man. I love that line right there. This is a man who was once called the baddest man on the planet. If being a man is all about machismo, Mike Tyson was the man. And here he looks back on that whole season of his life and he says, that's not what it means to be a man. Right now, I'm just trying to figure out what it means. And it seems to me that Mike Tyson is on his own journey of becoming. Certainly becoming poor in spirit. Which is where the whole thing begins, right there. Realizing that we are damaged human beings filled with a whole bunch of selfishness, as he says. That's the first step of rethinking your life, which is what we call repentance, so that we can begin to go in a whole different direction. Now, is Mike Tyson a sold-out follower of Jesus? Not to my knowledge. In fact, I'm pretty sure he's not quite there yet. Yet, 
But that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't at work in his life. Because Jesus is Lord of the whole world. And how many of you understand Jesus can be working in somebody's life before they even realize it? It's, called, it's what John Wesley called provenient grace. Life is not so much about what you have and where you go and where you are. Life is about what you're becoming. You're either moving toward full humanity or you're moving away from it. And this is what Mike Tyson seems to be understanding. He says, I was just a selfish pig. I'm a damaged human being. I'm just trying to become a man. I'm trying to learn what it is to be a man. The baddest man on the planet just wants to be a man. Amen. And he may not yet be aware that Jesus is involved in his journey of becoming, but Jesus is. And see, that's where a lot of us here have a distinct advantage. Whether you're in this room or watching by some other means or listening by some other means, many of us are at a distinct advantage because like Peter and Andrew, we've already heard the call of Jesus. And we've responded, a lot of us, and said yes, as evidenced by your confession and baptism. And you're part of a community of people already. You're, you're part of the community of the baptized, so to speak, who are hiking the Jesus way with you. And you're also aware that Jesus is working on you. Jesus is at work in your journey of becoming. So, so you and I already have a, a good head start in this process. And here's what I just want to say to you, and I want to leave you with this. And I want especially the younger people in this room to listen to this. I'm not going to tell you whether you're a younger person or not. You decide. <laughs> but sometimes young people, we get so filled with angst. And in, we get impatient about our journey. And we feel like we got to get there in like a month or a week or a day. And it's got to happen quickly. And I just want to encourage you to be patient and slow down. And don't be in such a hurry in your process of becoming. And don't try to force and press the issue. Because you're not the one. This is going to be liberating to some of you. You are not the one in charge of your journey of becoming. Jesus is in charge of your journey of becoming. He said, follow me and I will make you become. All you and I do is cooperate and yield and let Jesus do what Jesus does best. So you don't even have to know what's coming up around the bend. Don't feel like you've got to know what's coming up next. Just trust that Jesus is involved in your life and that Jesus is at work, whether you see it or not. Whether you feel it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, it doesn't matter. Just trust Jesus is at work in my life and stay on the journey. That's your job. Jesus invites you, follow me. That's your job. Follow him. Follow me and I will make you become. Your job is to stay on the journey. Jesus' job is to make you become. And as long as you stay on the journey, he's going to honor his promise. And I promise you, I promise you, it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be much better than anything you'll ever expect. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.